God is good. And I have some incredibly good news to share with you. In our year-end financial challenge, we were asking God for $85,000 to raise the roof. And as of this week, we have received $99,784, and we are so grateful. This allows us to move ahead with a new roof, repairs to our HVAC system, and have some capital reserves for future needs. We were also able to give over $10,000 to people in need in both our community and around the world. Isn't our God good? We know we can trust Him, even in the midst of uncertain times. So thank you to everyone, everyone who gave sacrificially, and to God who continues to give to us so generously. Today, we welcome Dan Brubaker as our guest speaker. Dan was part of our Compass staff team for several years in the early 2000s, and he was instrumental in our building expansion, resulting in the North Venue, expanded children's ministry, and office spaces. And fun fact, Dan was the one who hired me over 16 years ago. Over the years, he has been a good friend and a mentor to me in life and in ministry, and we are so excited to welcome him back to Compass. He's currently one of the executive directors at Connexus Church, and he and his wife Carla and their four girls make their home in Barrie, Ontario. Dan's a great listener. He's kind-hearted and caring and one of the most detail-oriented people I know. He also has been passionate about helping people take next steps in their faith journey, and today he will be sharing a message with us from 1 Thessalonians. Well, thanks for that kind welcome, Julianne, and for the invitation to come and preach. You know, it's such a joy to be with all of you today. My wife Carla and I look back on our seven years at Compass back in the early 2000s with just tremendous fondness. And we're just so grateful that the Lord gave us the privilege to serve here uh, in some very special years for us as a couple, but some very exciting years of ministry as a church. And... um, You know, it's great to look around and see some familiar faces, some people who were there back then, as well as many new faces, and that's exactly how it should be. It's fantastic. Uh, Julianne and I actually served on staff together back in those days. Uh, She was on staff part-time in women's ministry, and I just got to tell you, it's been so rewarding to watch her develop way beyond that and to just bless this church with her leadership over the years since then. And I'm very aware that this church took a risk on a fairly inexperienced pastor in his mid-20s who had and still has a lot of growing up to do. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems that maturity is increasingly hard to come by in our society. Whether it's the, the foolish behavior you observe around you at work or at school or maybe even in your own home, whether it's the crazy stories you hear on the news or the video clips on social media, all of which leave you shaking your head, It just seems that people who are both responsible and sensible are in shorter supply. And don't think that this is just a problem with the younger generation. As the saying goes, age is no guarantee of maturity. Growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. I was actually doing a little research about this situation, and I was surprised to learn that there is actually a diagnosis for those who behave in a predominantly childish way. It's it's called, get this, Immature Personality Disorder, or IPD. And it's listed in the World Health Organization's International Statistical Classification of Diseases. So immaturity is now actually an, an ailment. Think about that for a minute. Now, as unfortunate as the acceptance and even celebration of immaturity seems to be in our culture, 
What's more to the point for us as followers of Jesus is the subject of spiritual maturity and immaturity. Simply put, God wants his kids to grow up. He he receives us just as we are when we come in repentance and faith, and he welcomes us into his family as, as his sons and daughters, but then he desires for us to develop like any good parent would do. And you see this theme all over the New Testament. Ephesians 4.15 says, We will grow to become in every respect mature. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Grow up in your salvation. And Hebrews 6.1 says, Let us move forward to maturity. So, Friends, this is God's objective for his children. I know you've just finished a week of prayer to begin 2022. And so, I thought today we would look at a passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that's, that's actually a prayer focused on this theme of spiritual maturity. It's a prayer of the Apostle Paul for some dear friends whom he longed to see deep in their relationship with God. And I'm confident that this prayer reflects the heart of the leaders here at Compass for each of you. And even more importantly, I hope this prayer expresses your desire for your own walk with the Lord. That as you enter into this new year, you would be able to pray this prayer. God, I want to grow in spiritual maturity. That's a prayer each one of us can pray. And it's a prayer that I believe God would love to answer. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 13. That's our passage today. And here's what Paul writes. Here's his prayer. He says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. God, I want to grow in spiritual maturity. It may seem obvious like, Like, of course, that's what I should want for my life. But the truth of the matter is that for many of us, much of the time, we don't really long for spiritual maturity enough to fervently pray for it or to passionately pursue it. I know that can be true for me, and I'm assuming it's probably true for you as well. I mean, if it somehow just happens along the way, great. But I don't want to go out of my way. I don't want to put out extra effort to make it a reality. And so let's just be honest here right at the start about the struggle. And let's call on God to do his part while also committing to do ours. God's not just going to wave a wand and make us more spiritually mature without our active engagement. But neither can we just pull up our socks and make it happen apart from his gracious involvement too. It's a divine human partnership, both of us doing our part. And so with all of that said, I I want us to see in this prayer of Paul three characteristics of a relationship with God that's moving towards greater spiritual maturity. So these, these are qualities that we should be asking for God to increasingly cultivate in our lives as we pursue spiritual growth. And I, I phrased each characteristic as a prayer to the Lord. And I hope that they express your heartfelt desire today as well. So here's the first one. God, help me lean into community more. Help me lean into community more. Look again at verses 10 and 11. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. 
perhaps a, a bit of background info would be helpful before we move on. Paul writes this letter to a group of people who have been Christ followers for no more than a few months. And we actually learned from Acts chapter 17 that during his stay in Thessalonica, Paul preached in the synagogue on three successive Sabbath days. And then he remained in the city for some time thereafter, continuing to minister to both Jews and Gentiles. He leaves the city when he starts to begin to encounter opposition. And, uh, and he fears that this newly formed church will be persecuted. And so he leaves, but he regrets leaving before they're well-established in their faith. It was earlier than he had hoped. But he anticipates visiting them again in the near future. And unfortunately, circumstances prevent Paul from returning. And so he instead sends his protege, Timothy, to minister. And he sends this letter along to encourage the young believers to press on and remain faithful. And as we see in these two verses, verses 10 and 11, Paul holds out hope of once again being together with them. And he says that he, he prays most earnestly day and night toward that end. He asks both God the Father and the Lord Jesus to, to clear the way and bring them together. Why is this so important? Like, why does Paul feel such a compulsion to be in physical proximity to these men and women? Well, he, he tells us at the end of verse 10, because he wants to supply what is lacking in their faith. Actually, just, just a few sentences earlier in chapter 3, verse 2, he talks about wanting to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. You see, Paul recognizes that these Christ followers need ongoing life-on-life -life support if they're going to grow in spiritual maturity. They, they can't be just left to fend for themselves. They require others to come alongside and to, to nurture them in the faith. And guess what? So do we. This is exactly why the author of Hebrews writes these words, very familiar words, in chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. What was true then is true now. Christianity has never been a solo sport. It's a team effort all the way. We need each other if we're going to cross the finish line of faith. We need to lean into community to keep growing spiritually. We need meaningful relationships with fellow believers so that the one another's of God's word can be lived out in the mutual pursuit of maturity. You see, we prize our independence, but God prioritizes interdependence. And those of us who have been around the church for a little while, we, we've heard all this before. We know we need to find a, a small band of Christian brothers and sisters to come alongside and to journey with us and us with them. And yet, so often, we don't lean into community like we should. I, I read the results of a recent LifeWay research survey about people's views on discipleship. And one stat that jumped off the page was this. Two-thirds of regular churchgoers affirmed the statement, I can walk with God without other believers. Like, like what's up with that? Why the, the rugged individualism? I, I jotted down this week just, just some of the obstacles that I think can keep us from leaning into community. Maybe you can identify with one or more of these yourself. For some, it's the, the issue is apathy. We just don't care enough. It's not a lack of knowing what to do. It's a lack of desiring to actually do it. It's, it's our indifference that leads to inaction. Or, or maybe it's pride. 
You know, you just think, I can make it on my own. I don't need anybody to help me with my spiritual growth. Just me, God, and the Bible. I'll be fine. Remember what God says about pride? Pride goes before destruction. Perhaps it's busyness. I mean, we, we tell ourselves that we would lean into community if life weren't so fast-paced, and we'll be sure to do it when things slow down. But the truth is, we all make time for what's really important to us. Or what about fear? Maybe you're more of an introvert and you're just kind of more private. And the, the idea of getting real and going deep with a few people about spiritual matters, like that freaks you out. It just causes you great anxiety. Sometimes the obstacle is hurt. Perhaps you engaged in biblical community in the past and you just feel like you got burned. Someone said or did something that caused you deep pain, and now you're steering clear to protect yourself, just building a wall. Whatever the obstacle may be, we need to push past it because we truly need each other. And by the way, after two years of dealing with COVID, with the increased isolation it's called for, I mean, we need each other more than ever before. Diet programs, exercise programs, groups like AA, they figured out that the rate of success increases with a supportive community around you. And the same is true of your pursuit of spiritual maturity. And I know this church prioritizes environments where others can, can help supply what is lacking in your faith and where you can do the same for them. And I encourage you to take advantage of all of those kind of opportunities that present themselves. Ask God in 2022 to help you lean into community more than ever before. Okay, we're prayerfully declaring along with Paul, God, I want to grow in spiritual maturity. Here's a second characteristic that we're moving in the right direction. A, a quality that should be increasingly true in our lives and also increasingly desired. Here it is, number two. This should be our prayer. God, would you help me love others more? Help me love others more. Look at verse 12 again. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Paul reminds the Thessalonians of his deep love for them. Notice that last phrase, just as ours does for you. And he prays that God would cause their love to increase and overflow. The idea behind those words is of something that's, that's spreading out rapidly, that's dispersing widely, kind of like uh, surging floodwaters that just cannot be stopped, cannot be contained. And Paul wants the same thing to be true of their love and of ours. He wants love to just spill out in every direction. And who are the recipients? Who are the beneficiaries of our love? Well, Paul talks first about love for each other. Notice that, love for each other. That's, that's love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow believers. Love for each other within the family of God, hear me, is an essential attribute of a Christ follower. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. In other words, this kind of love should define us as believers. It marks us. It's, it's, it's who we are. But Paul goes on and he calls us to also have love for everyone else. Not just love for each other, but love for everyone else. That's love for the lost and the least. That's love for the cranky and the critical. That's, 
That's love for those who even actively come against us. It's love for all. I'm again reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get for that? I tell you, love your enemies. And anybody can love the people that love them. Love those who are more difficult to love. That's the gist here. Paul is talking about unbounded love. How we relate to those who are outside the community of faith is no less important than how we relate to those who are on the inside. Our love should have no restrictions, no no caveats, no expiry dates, no limits. Wow. So you might be asking, what what is an increasing and overflowing love look like? What What is this love that Paul's talking about that I'm praying for in my life, what would that look like? How do we know if we're making progress? And of course, much could be said, much has been said, much has been written, but I just want to briefly offer three biblical truths about love. Just a a little grid to help us evaluate how we're doing, okay? And you may, may want to make a note of these. First truth is this, love is action more than emotion. Action more than emotion. It's more about doing than about feeling. Oftentimes when we hear the word love, we think almost automatically, almost immediately about emotions and sentiments. And, and if we're talking about marital love, we often think about romance and passion. And none, none of that is wrong. None of that's inappropriate, but it's insufficient. Because biblical love is far more than an emotion. Because regardless of how we feel at any given moment, God calls us to choose to be loving. He calls us to, to put our love into practice, in, to act in ways that tangibly demonstrate love. And we see that here in our passage. It's, it's, it's also the point in, in 1 Corinthians 13, that, that love chapter in the Bible. And I'm not going to read that to you. You can look at it later. But you remember where he talks about love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. And on and on he goes. Well, that list, those, those are things to be done, not necessarily things to be felt. So first, love is action more than emotion. The second truth is that love is you before me. It's you before me. In other words, love is about pursuing the good of others before the good of yourself. And sometimes, I think if we're being honest, even our demonstrations of love can come from mixed motives. Instead of it being all about the other person, we fall into that, like, what's in it for me mindset. Friends, that is not love according to God's standards. Ephesians 5 verse 2 calls us to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Like how exactly did Christ love us? Well, this verse tells us that Jesus sacrificed himself in an ultimate way by offering his life up on the cross as a payment for our sins. And we've remembered that today through communion. Now, now we may not be called to literally die in someone else's place, and I certainly hope that's not the case, but we are called to walk in the way of love with that same sacrificial spirit. This is our example. Jesus is the model. To outdo one another in service, to, to set aside my desires and preferences, to look for ways to esteem those around me, even when it costs, even when it costs dearly. The high calling to put others ahead of ourselves, that's biblical love. It's you before me. Third truth is that love is experienced 
before it's expressed. It's experienced before it's expressed. Love like we've been talking about is tough, tough to put into practice. I mean, if love were easy, everybody would be doing it, right? And so this third idea gets to the heart of how we can actually love the way the Bible calls us to. 1 John 4 tells us that love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We love because he first loved us. In other words, it's only when we first experience the Father's love for us as shown through his Son, it starts with that relationship with him. And it's only when that's been settled that we can then express the same kind of love for others. And I just want to pause here and ask, have you received and responded to the love of God in Christ? Are you forgiven and free through the death and resurrection of Jesus? And if not, I I would just invite you to open up your heart to him even now. That is the first and fundamental step in getting love right. And if your love isn't increasing and overflowing like you know it should, ask God to overwhelm you once again with the magnitude of his love for you. Just just allow your heart to marinate in that reality. And then ask him to help you demonstrate that same love toward others. See, love is experienced before it's expressed. And I think that's some of what Paul has in mind when he prays, may the Lord make you lo- your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. It's love that's action-oriented, love that's others-focused, and love that reflects what's first been received. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire? Here's where the rubber meets the road. Who is God bringing to mind right now, and what is he prompting you to do in this matter of love? And don't assume that there's no way he could be asking you to do that for that person. Actually, he just might be asking you to do that. Ask God to help you love others more. He'll answer that prayer. I know he will. It's his heart for you. Okay, we're we're making this prayerful declaration. God, I want to grow in spiritual maturity. We've said, help me lean into community more. Help me love others more. And then finally this, help me live in holiness more. Help me live in holiness more. Notice again, verse 13. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. How would I summarize this verse? Well, the Apostle Paul points to the second coming of Christ as both the moment when the Thessalonians will be found fully blameless before God and the motivation for holy living now. If I said it another way, Paul calls us to live in the present in light of the future. Live in the present in light of the future. And later in chapters 4 and 5 of this letter to the Thessalonians, he provides some additional details about the coming of the Lord and what it will be like because he wants his friends to be encouraged and prepared. And you might want to read that later on your own. And in another letter to the church in Corinth, he writes these words, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, now, I don't know how exactly that's all going to unfold, how it's going to happen. But that truth should drive us to pursue holiness now. This is so crucial. When the scriptures address the end times, 
the point isn't speculation, but rather examination. How am I living now in light of then? Again, it's not speculation, it's examination. How am I living now in light of then? You see, if our hearts are pure and clean and we're, we're able to withstand temptation, then that frees us from shame and embarrassment before the Lord. And, and we should look forward to his coming with great anticipation. That day will be the, the culmination of his process of sanctification in our lives, of making us more like himself. 1 John 3 Verses two and three says, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You see, friends, that's our glorious hope. But if our hearts are corrupted and dirty and we're, we're giving into temptation, then, then we're not gonna be eager to have our sins interrupted and exposed in the presence of the Lord. I mean, it's kind of like when the kids are getting in trouble. The very worst thing is for mom or dad to show up unannounced. None of us likes getting caught doing what we know we shouldn't be doing. And so in light of Jesus' soon coming, Paul prays that God would strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy. He focuses on the heart because that's the place of our human emotions and our thoughts and our motives and our purposes. Our, our heart reveals who we truly are. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That word blameless here, it refers to a condition in which an individual has done nothing deserving condemnation by God. And holy means that we're set apart for God, we're conformed to his character. Now, now clearly, none of us can make the claim of being blameless and holy. We all fall short in so many ways, but that's our prayer, that's, that's our pursuit, that's our longing. We want that to be increasingly true of us. And so we cry out to the Lord and say, help me live in holiness more. And th this is a massive topic and we can't do justice in just the, the brief time we have remaining, but I, I wanted to quickly mention five keys that can, that can help us to honor God and to, to live in holiness more. Some practical things you can put into practice this week. So here's the, number, the first one is, is to revere. The first key to pursuing holiness is rightly esteeming God as the Holy One who calls us to be holy as He is holy. If we, if we love Him and fear Him and worship Him and hold Him in the highest regard, that's the first step because when the glory and greatness and goodness of God are big in our eyes, the appeal of sin shrivels into nothing. So it starts with reverence. And then number two is restrict. Revere and then restrict. I, I know this word seems automatically negative. Like, like who likes to be constrained? None of us. But th this is about setting boundaries in our lives that protect us from potential sin. And it's about making commitments that keep us on track. It's, it's about actions that we can and won't take. It's about places we can and won't go. It's about things we can and won't watch, and so on. That's restrict. And then number three, run. We, we can and we should set up all kinds of guardrails to help keep us from sin. But, but Scripture tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the common instruction over and over in God's word is for us to flee. 
Don't, don't just stand there and give temptation a second thought or a second look. Remove yourself. Run. Number four is to repent. To repent. Love these verses from 1 John chapter 1. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, this side of eternity will continue to fall into sin. And repentance is always the critical next step. Repentance is agreeing with God about our sin. It's acknowledging our fallenness and asking for forgiveness. It's pledging to reverse course and walk in his path. And whatever the specific shortcoming is in your life, God calls you to repent. And then number five is to renew. Ask the Lord to revitalize and to to rejuvenate you from the inside out. David prayed this prayer in Psalm 51 after some sin, some serious sin. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let God do his work of renewal and then go back to number one and, and again revere him as you should. It's, it's a cycle that we need to continuously repeat. This is how we can live in holiness more. And I just ask, is that your prayerful desire today? Remember, growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. And God wants his kids to grow up. Is that your desire too? God, I, I want to grow in spiritual maturity. Help me lean into community more. Help me love others more. Help me live in holiness more. Let's pray for a moment. God, I, I thank you for the newness of this year and the promises of this year. We, we come to 2022 with many feelings. Uh, both hopes and concerns, and we, we have no idea what lies ahead, what's in store for us. But we do know that you want your kids to grow up, and I pray that each person listening right now would want that same thing for their life. May we be able to say with all honesty, with all, all, all authenticity, may, may this be our genuine longing. God, I want to grow in spiritual maturity. Would you help us apply these principles from your word and would you make it so for our good and for your glory? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.